it's safe to say we're all drowning in a sea of content at the moment. There's content here, content there, content everywhere. And chances are, a bunch of you listening to this podcast are responsible for crafting that content. Whether you're a university marketer, a student recruitment professional, if you work in social media, or whatever else, I'll bet content creation finds its way onto your to-do list at some point. So, the question I want to put to you is this. Does your content have heart? Is it personalised to your target audience? Is it meaningful? Are you using emotion effectively? Are you creating something that helps your audience, or are you just adding to the noise? Don't worry, I won't tell anyone your answer. Instead, I'll give you an episode of this podcast that will help whip your content into shape with the help of this guy. So I'm Johnny Williams. I'm the head of CRM, Creative Services and Content at Keele University. Um, I've been with Keele since December 2017, which has flown past. Johnny is a rising star in the higher ed content scene and can regularly be found on the conference circuit, speaking from the heart with enthusiasm, passion and, well, great content. In short, he's someone you definitely want to listen to, so I'm delighted to welcome him to the show this week. In this episode, I sit down with Johnny to discuss those key points I mentioned earlier, personalisation, meaningful content and emotion. They are Johnny's passions and he has plenty of ideas about how you can bring more of all three elements into your student recruitment campaign planning. So settle in for some great examples, some even better ideas and a real understanding as to why Johnny thinks emotion is actually a real life superpower. It is this really untapped thing where most most of the time I think a lot of what we do in higher education, especially student recruitment, is super functional, especially in that digital space. We're thinking about what needs to be in a form or what needs to be on a web page, what information should be there. We're not thinking about personality and, and how that fits into the emotional experience that someone's going to have. That's why emotion is a superpower, because as soon as we add emotion into what we do, it shows us in this whole new light. Whereas institutions, we don't just represent the buildings, we represent the body of people. From the Access platform, he's Johnny, I'm Dave, and this is Inspiration on Tap. I'll let you into a little secret. I've had this episode recorded for ages. It's been in the bag since that weird time of year when it was warm outside and that big ball of light in the sky made everything seem bright and cheery. It was recorded months before anything else in this season of the podcast, long before the real scope of this season took shape to be honest. But you know, good things are worth waiting for and that's definitely the case here. I met Johnny on Keel's campus on a sunny August day. He greeted me in a typical Johnny style. Big smile, hearty handshake, massive bear hug. As far as greetings go, I can highly recommend it. We had plenty to get through, so didn't waste any time getting started. Mics plugged in, recorder running, and everything running smoothly. I kicked things off by asking Johnny about his career background. His answer is coming right up. As such, one could use this opportunity to say... Here's Johnny! Sorry, not sorry. Anyway, here's Johnny. 
Prior to joining the university here, I was working for Derby, so Derby University. That was a really good experience in some ways, a really challenging experience in others. So whilst I was working there, I initially joined Derby as part of their further education team rather than higher education. So I was working in a digital role in terms of their further education branch, which is the Buxton Elite College stuff that they've got going on. And then I joined the main university, but still based at their Buxton campus as a campaigns officer. So it was basically within the brand team. So the focus of that was working on sort of the top level campaigns, but then also looking at the university was just going through a shift in terms of their Buxton campus to really look at the hospitality, culinary arts and travel stuff that they do there. So that was fascinating because it meant I was really involved in in some quite big level stuff. But prior to going into education or prior to working in education, rather, I was working freelance for a good period of time. So that was basically doing brand consultancy, web design, a reasonable amount of content stuff, but then it was really focused around working with small sort of small medium businesses. I was going to say SMEs, but I've learned well enough now that acronyms are a very dangerous thing. So yeah, I was working with a real broad range of different businesses, which was fascinating. Um, And that gave me a real insight into working on sort of top level brand stuff, as well as digging into the deep, smaller digital campaign side of things. Um, I did for a brief period of time work in Manchester for a digital agency, which was really interesting, but wasn't quite the... It's definitely shaped the approach that I take to a lot of work stuff now, because I think that it was an interesting agency in the sense they really promised like a family environment and actually it's it's sort of given me a healthy degree of skepticism when it comes to any sort of business that talks about family because I think that this is something that's carried over into higher education we actually need to understand working relationships and boundaries and things so I learned a lot from that experience of being in Manchester but I've actually I've, I've run my own businesses since I was 16 so I've I've basically been doing marketing off the back of other skill sets, as it were. So that was kind of my route into what I do now, which is, again, moved so far away from when I started a t-shirt business at 16, taught myself graphic design, which then led to teach myself web design, which then led on to all these other things. And now I'm really fascinated in that sort of area of digital delivery and and how we can deliver better user experiences, really, and, and really serving a customer base, as it were. As I've already mentioned, the themes of personalization, meaningful content and emotion are real passions for Johnny. Naturally, I wanted to know why. The answer, simply, is one of ethics. I've been having this conversation with a few people recently about how I think if you're embedded in a bit of a space where you can see... I think where people are talking about privilege and stuff like that a little bit, and there is the irony of when when you sort of realise that you're feeling a bit woke. But for me, that's the digital space comes into those three areas. So personalization, emotion and meaningful content is basically the equivalent of sort of looking at how we engage with our audiences and just trying to define a better experience. And for me, that's why it's so important, because I think it really is is all about us not trying to just take advantage of people when we lean into this sort of space of marketing. By doing those things, we are actually providing value. And I think for me, it's it's sort of an alignment to the moral side of things. It's something that's cropped up a little bit when I've spoken to someone like Sarah Richards, for instance, who is the don of all dons within the content design world, if not content and digital world full stop. But I know that for her, it's the accessibility side of things is all about just making a better world for people, really. If we're going to be doing these things, we deserve 
or our audiences deserve rather, our users deserve to be getting the best that they can get rather than us just trying to force people through horrible processes or forcing them to go through these experiences where it's like a qualifier to then get what they actually want. And I think that personalization, emotion and meaningful content all do those things where actually it's about if we're going to do something, let's do it right. And let's not BS people as well into saying, oh yeah, we're doing something good for you when actually we're just trying to make money. And I don't think higher education will ever operate in that way properly, but it's I personally am massively aware that we're asking for such a commitment from young people. We're asking them to make such a big decision when it comes to education, higher education at least, to say it's going to be thousands of pounds of your money. It's going to be debt that you might be in for the rest of your life. The least we can do as people that work in that sector is try and ensure that they're happy and comfortable and supported and that they feel like they're not alone through these processes. So that's kind of where the passions come from for me. So, let's go into these three areas one by one, starting with personalization. I wanted Johnny's take on why personalization is important for student recruitment and how he thinks it can be blended into the recruitment campaign planning mix. I think, I mean, that was the thing that instantly came to mind for me was it's such an investment. It's such an important thing that this person could be going through and it completely shapes the rest of your life, whether you have a good experience or a bad experience in higher education. So a huge part of it is about making people feel special. I think the other side of it though is is about if we personalise the experience, it removes stress, it removes pain points and it removes all of these things that actually are going to make the experience more difficult for someone and possibly shuts the door to people. So personalisation first and foremost makes life easier, but if we apply that ease to someone who's maybe coming from a background where their parents haven't been through higher education, for instance, or if they have a disability, or even if they're in an environment where this is not something that's encouraged, which is, you know, that happens to plenty of people where you're laughed at for even talking about university as an option for you. Personalization removes those barriers because it means that this is something that feels like it's for you. And I think that that's what we need to be doing. If we're trying to say that higher education is a good thing for people, if you coming to university or getting a degree is a good thing for people to have, then it needs to be about them. And personalization is is the one thing that really screams that. It's saying, you know, we've made this for you and you are unique in that as well. You're not just another number. You're not just another notch. You are special. I personally think segmentation's a really good thing in terms of, it depends how you're looking at your audience because segmentation is a very dangerous thing if it means that you're removing core information from someone's user journey, from their experience. If you're if you're trying to break down that audience too much, then it might mean that all of a sudden they miss out on something and you don't know what's going on in their head necessarily. I always really like, and again to reference Sarah Richards, but that idea that someone's already been through so many steps before they've reached your website, for instance, there's already been this whole mental journey that they've got to. And um, I kind of think that really in, in, on a small scale, it's about thinking about how you can segment the stuff you're sending out so it isn't just scattergun. So the thing that always gets me is we talk about personalization and people always say, oh, well, we put someone's name on it. And your name's in like the, the subject line and your name's in the first line of the text when you open an email. Now, first off, it's not personalized if you're still sending them an email because email might not be their preferred platform. If every single person, if your idea of marketing someone and that's personalization is just sending everyone an email, already there's there's a step missed there. So the first thing is think about where are they? What platform could they be on? And 
breaking down your segment and user data in terms of could we target them on Facebook and Instagram where, yeah, maybe it's a bit more passive because we're not actively sending something into their inbox. But if you've got information that you know they're interested in something, you know roughly where they live and you're putting on an event or you're coming to visit, that's an easier step or it's in the background, you can advertise to them. And that's a really good thing you can do, which is more basic. It's thinking about, are you tailoring your ads? I think a really good example of this, as much as I probably shouldn't say it, but politically don't really like the current government that we have, but the amount of money they're spending, which again is coming out of the public purse, so it's a bit dubious and questionable, but they've got something like a thousand adverts running at the moment, which are all tailored and personalised. And we all know that that's one of the big reasons why, you know, the Brexit campaign was so successful. They targeted very specific decision-making groups on a very small-scale basis, where that segmentation meant that they were influential in what they did. I don't think we should be looking at using this sort of weaponized psychological trickery that maybe comes into other digital campaigns that we've seen across the world. But it's more about, is there something that there is a user need for? Is there something that is valuable that we can push to that specific group of people? Now, that's a brilliant way to personalize. On a larger scale, if we're not just looking at sending out personalized content and stuff like that, where we're thinking about what someone wants, on a larger scale, it does come down to those things like integrating CRM with your content strategy and really thinking about, do we have a data platform at the moment that can hold information that ensures we're getting over that first hurdle that someone might have? If you've already filled out a form once with a business, you should never have to give them that same information ever again. And that's the ultimate level of personalization. It's why people shop at Amazon, because as soon as Amazon's got, as soon as Amazon's got you, and again, this is, you know, it's not always positive, but people are going to keep going back because you don't have to get over that first pain point ever again. Even things like Moonpig, for instance, being able to send you birthday notifications for your cousin or your sister, you'll keep going back to them because you've not had to put in all that information. It's just there, ready and waiting. I told you Johnny had good examples. So good that I asked for more. This time, instances of personalization being used well within higher ed. I really like, I think clearing's a, a great opportunity to look at people in the sector. I know that Dana Rock's done amazing stuff on a really small budget scale, which I loved. So I know that she's moved on to a different role now at a different university, but the campaign that she worked on where it was very much focused on what can we do on a minimum budget on clearing on results day to say, we're making a video for someone specifically. And as much as I can say, it's not just about putting someone's name on something. I do feel that what they managed to deliver by creating videos that were personalized for each individual person, that was super awesome. Because it just boiled down to, this is for you, you are special and we're celebrating for you and now you're going to join us, like you're part of something. And it's human as well. And that's the other nice thing because personalization is such a digital thing in many ways, but actually we should be using customer insight, customer data, or if we're trying not to marketize too much, our prospective student data to then get it to a human level as quickly as possible. So all of that data input that we might have, I feel like, Dana's campaign was great because they used one specific piece of information, which was, I think, their, their UCAS or student ID number, and then skipped straight forward to how can we make this human? And that was fantastic. And I know as well, Southampton's doing some great stuff around CRM at the moment, just thinking about how they can explore things like uh, lead scoring, where lead scoring, again, it sounds like a bit of a ominous and possibly evil thing when you talk about it and for anyone that does it I should probably say about lead scoring it's normally the situation where you apply a score to everyone's action and do interject if I'm not explaining this very well please do but yeah so if if you click on a link that could be worth five points if you put in your email address somewhere that could be worth 10 points if you don't open any emails for three months that could be minus 15 points and so lead scoring is all about identifying who is an active 
person engaged in your database and who is inactive. Who's who's a warm lead, who's a cold lead, whichever sort of lingo you want to use. But it's basically all about picking out the people that you know are most likely to engage and therefore most likely to become a student or even in terms of current students. I think this is something that for me working in a marketing communications directorate, we often forget our current student body is so important and so essential because they're the ambassadors. They're the people that are going to go out into the world and actually say whether it's good or not now and into the future. And so even stuff around lead scoring to see is a student engaged. And for me, the area where this becomes really interesting, where that work that Southampton are exploring, which is really cool to say, could we use lead scoring to benefit our CRM communications? For me, the step which is then organically beneficial is mental health, where we can look at lead scoring, say someone's not opened an email for three months. They've stopped turning up to the lectures because we've actually got digital sign-in on the doors, so we know when people are turning up and when they're not. Their grades, we've linked up their grades and, and how they're doing in terms of little tests and stuff like that. And even in terms of sentiment analysis, if you throw that into the mix, and this is big picture thinking, all of a sudden you can flag when someone's probably feeling alone. And as we all know with mental health issues, the time when you're least likely to reach out to someone is when you're feeling at your lowest. Yeah, if we can see when someone maybe isn't in a good place before possibly they even know that they're not in a good place, it's as simple as then just sending a really tiny thing to say, hey, just want to check up if you want a meeting or, you know, we can push them out to a social event that might be happening. And it's, it's a delicate thing. And I think that requires more thought. But I love the work where actually we can do ethical lead scoring. It's it's taking, I think, what we need to do a lot in terms of personalization is explore where the private sector's done impressive things and then add that sort of um, moral compass to it almost. Where we're thinking, can we do this in a way that's not just about us making money? Can we do it in a way where actually we're building a committed audience of people that really like us and, and where we enrich their lives? personalization covered it was time next for meaningful content this one was perhaps the least obvious to define so i started by getting johnny's take on what he means when he says meaningful content and also how to tell if your content is meaningful the whole idea of meaningful content have been floating in my head for quite a long time and it's kind of an amalgamation of a lot of things that other people have spoken about before but for me it boiled down to this like framework of thinking about is this all stuff that people need first off? Is it bringing values to people's lives? Is it actually beneficial to them? And I think looking at our content in that way, for me, was how, how I define, is it meaningful? So it's really thinking about, are we doing it for the right reasons? Does the audience actually want it? And is it going to connect with them as well? Because I think that, as you say, the, the whole internet is just populated with stuff that doesn't connect. Um, and doesn't bring any value. And the thing is, value is all, uh, it's completely relative to each person. Like, I might look at a meme and find it the funniest thing that I'll see that day, and that's brought so much value to my life in this tiny way, but if it's put a smile on my face, then it's it's worth something. And that's why there is space for, like, humour and stuff like that in what we do as as people working in content in higher education. But, yeah, mean, meaningful for me boils down to, is this something that is making someone's life better? There's a quick process which I think I try and do as much as possible where if you look at a block of text or a web page or even if you're, if God forbid, you're creating an app, which is a rocky, rocky slope. Um, but if you're doing any of those things, look at it and go, did 
does someone actually need this or do I just want it? If you're making something because you want it or your boss wants it, but you can't actually find a user who's going to need it, it's wrong. It shouldn't exist. It shouldn't be there. And this is kind of like why the FAQs debate always sort of comes down to where it is. If you're on a university webpage and someone's saying, we need an FAQ page for this, it's a perfect example of going, well, why? Because should someone ever need that space with a list of question and answers, which are a nightmare to trawl through, if we've done our job properly on another page? And I think that's the qualification to really just figure out if your content is meaningful or not, is does someone need this? And if they don't, are we wasting their time? So with a better idea of what meaningful content actually is, how can you go about integrating it into your student recruitment mix? Well, and my brain is currently saying, don't do it, don't do it, but here's Johnny. I think for me that, that the quickest route to that is user needs and user stories. So if we think about in the student recruitment cycle, what are those users really looking for? Now, for me, there's some key steps that you've got in that student recruitment journey. You're looking at that first engagement. Am I signing up for an open day? Am I ordering a prospectus? Um, so thinking about forms. The simple things within meaningful content can be something like adding a little number where it says, this is page one out of three, or to say how many question boxes you've got, or even a little bit of content at the top of the page that says, this form will take you one minute to fill out. Now that for me is meaningful because you're valuing my time by doing that. You're valuing the effort I'm going to put into this. And um, I'm sure we've all been through it. The, the university processes don't seem to be as bad for this, but anyone who's ever looked at job applications, for instance, they are the devil for this because you'll get 10 pages in and then all of a sudden they'll go, oh, by the way, we need 50 forms that we've not warned you about and there's not a save button. And so you either find those 50 forms in the next 30 minutes or we'll sign you out and then you've got to start your application again. Oh, but wait, you didn't save all those things in the text document because we didn't warn you about this at the start. Now, open day forms, if they ever have 10 pages, then by God, you're doing something really wrong. But even that small thing, you know, universities are bad at understanding when our audience have never engaged with something like this ever before. Open days are a foreign concept unless you are familiar with higher education. I myself went to loads of open days before coming to university but it was only after like three or four that I kind of it clicked where I was like basically it's formulaic you're here to look at a campus see accommodation and maybe hear about a subject and pretty much all of that is exactly the same and for me those open day visits boiled down to was there mold in the showers could I get an ensuite and did people seem nice and so if we apply that same thought process to actually even within our forms and when then it boils down to our events where we've got in-person interactions. So if we're giving someone like a guide for the day and they've been to another five, 10 open days, they probably don't need to have something explained to them about what a university is. And that again is, is meaningful because you're not wasting my time or you're seeing value in who I am. I need something or I don't need something. And if you're only providing what's needed by looking at those user stories, so saying as a prospective student, I need to be able to see what the accommodation's like so that I know whether I'm going to catch Legionnaire's disease, which is a dreadful user story, but one that I actually, <laughs> someone did say, uh, it was a parent, I really need to see the room that my child's going to be living in because I just want to check that it's actually going to be up to standard because my daughter got really ill at university. And it was this whole other angle where, again, we could, we could cut that out of the process by creating meaningful content, which is present and available and, and delivers the needs as quickly as possible. As with personalization, I wanted to hear from Johnny some examples of how meaningful content is being used well in the higher ed sector right now. Here's what he had to say. I think in terms of like the, the two branches of meaningful content that I really look at, um, and one leans into that 
that space of um, saving people time almost and thinking about that. Like, are we being as upfront as possible? So in the sector, personally, I'm a huge fan of what Dundee have done where, and, and I know that I constantly shout them out on Twitter because I just am fanatical about how strong their brand is how good their understanding of content is. They've really thought through that element of adding user needs to every bit of content. If there's a user need, th then it can exist on their website. If there's not a user need, it won't exist. They're not wasting any time. If you go to a page, it's there for a reason. Equally, if there's links on a page, it will get you where you need to go as quickly as possible. If there's no fluff. It's all about helping that user on their journey through what they're trying to find. And equally, that means that the journey off the website, which we often forget about, is quicker. Because one thing I really like about Dundee too is that their Google search sort of rankings as it were their seo side of things is super strong because they've cut out all the nonsense so if you're trying to find something on their site you can just google it and i think that we forget that stage it's that stage before what we can control a little bit um as much as i do get a lot of emails from indian seo gurus trying to say we can help you out but yeah that, that whole side of things i think is great the other one on, on a similar angle is aston who um, I've never actually interacted with in the content space, but I would love to meet whoever does all of their website stuff because they've nailed it in terms of just clear, solid content while also keeping that marketing spin. It looks glossy, it feels premium, it feels modern, but at the same time, I get what I want really quickly. So if you go on their course pages, for instance, it's meaningful because as soon as you're on that page, everything is upfront. On the flip side of meaningful though, where it kind of connects and I can see why it's there and it's trying to give you something wholesome and good. So it's meaningful because it nourishes the soul almost. I need to feel, if I'm applying to university, like I'm going to be comfortable and happy and like I'm going to feel part of a community rather than feeling alone. Glasgow, for me, is, is my favourite for that because it's just really warm and wholesome and even I, looking at their social pages, feel like I could be a Glasgow student. Like it's an open community feel and I hope Glasgow students feel that way. But from everything I see, like my favorite stuff in terms of what's meaningful is when they put out their graduation videos and they've got content about it. And I think a lot of universities do this well. I'm really proud of what we did at Keel this year because we had some great graduation videos that our um, digital team worked on, Tom and Paul, that just got straight through to storytelling. And I think that can be really meaningful is thinking about that storytelling angle. But Glasgow do it so well where you watch something and just, you know, it makes your heart hurt a little bit. But in that really good nourishing way where it's good for the soul and that's meaningful too. Before we left this one behind, I asked Johnny to offer some tips on how to make your content more meaningful. I think what we really need to think about in terms of meaningful content in that situation is what's going to make someone feel uncomfortable? What's going to put them off? If we can look at user needs around that, so figure out what that audience really needs in the context of student recruitment cycle and then solve those problems. And I think that that's where meaningful content is easiest to implement if we think of it on an iterative basis. So let's not try and fix the whole student recruitment cycle. Just focus on problems one at a time, focus on user needs one at a time. And um, I think that that's a really easy way to get it implemented. It's just identify a time when someone might not be so happy. For that, that thing I was saying about open day forms, look at your open day form, figure out how long it takes. Is there a way to make it quicker and easier? Is there a way to flag to someone how long it's going to take and whether it's going to be a nightmare or not? Because that's going to be meaningful to someone. If someone comes away and they're like, oh, that was easy. That's the kind of interaction that you're looking for. That's meaningful in all the right ways. Stay tuned for a deep dive on emotion and an epic answer that brings all this together right after this quick break.
For this ad, I really wanted to give you a sense of what the Access Platform can do to you, but it's quite tough to demonstrate an online tool in a podcast, so please allow me some creative freedom. Anyway, at the crux of what we do is facilitating questions and conversations, namely allowing prospective students to ask your current students all the burning questions about life at your university. I can't replicate that exactly here, but I can ask my colleagues at TAPHQ to describe our company in three words and then shove a microphone under their mouths to record their answers, which is what I did. Mm. Um. I'll do it as well, do I? Um. <laughs> so much pressure. Smart and energetic. Fun and friendly. Um. Oh, I really want to reuse fun. Like a family. Enjoyable. That's such a boring word, yeah. I'm just gonna use fun. So I need to say them all at the same time. Original, fast paced, and fun. Fun, adaptive, and. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> and I saw. <laughs> fun, adaptive, creative. <laughs> There's like some great listening material. If you want to help prospective students get the answers to their questions about your university, you don't need to record cheesy ads like this, just use the Access platform and have the ability to facilitate peer-to-peer -peer chats, curate and publish user-generated content and source student-answered FAQs in just a few clicks. We're already working with universities in the UK, Australia, New Zealand, the USA and beyond and we'd love to work with you too. Book a demo now at theaccessplatform.com. back. Ready to get emotional? It was time to look at the final part of Johnny's triptych of guiding content principles. Emotion. I'm in a glass case of emotion! Now, we all understand what emotion is and we've probably all seen marketing campaigns somewhere in the world that taps into it. What's interesting about Johnny's take on emotion is that it is a bona fide superpower. That's a pretty bold claim, so I asked him to explain why he thinks as he does. For me, like it, emotion is a superpower because of the fact that it's this most it's the most human and intrinsic thing that we have. And the power of empathy can never be overstated. Because as soon as we relate to each other and as soon as we are trying to do something that benefits each other, we are going to be delivering better services. And emotion is a superpower because as soon as we tap into that empathy, understand how other people feel and understand not how we want them to feel, but how they're likely to feel in a situation, how we can ease that and get them to a positive emotional space. It is this really untapped thing where most, most of the time I think a lot of what we do in higher education, especially student recruitment, is super functional, especially in that digital space. We're thinking about what needs to be in a form or what needs to be on a web page, what information should be there. We're not thinking about personality and, and how that fits into the emotional experience that someone's going to have. Because a lot of us would like to think that we represent institutions that hold very similar but very positive values, where we are a community and where we're trustworthy, where we're respectable. 
But are we putting that across in our content? And we need to, that's why emotion is a superpower because as soon as we add emotion into what we do, it shows us in this whole new light. Whereas institutions, we don't just represent the buildings, we represent the body of people. So the question here, as you've probably guessed, is how can we tie in emotion to the world of student recruitment? Well, I'll resist the urge to play that clip again, but we'll instead say, fear not, Johnny's here. I really think that thinking about that like sentiment side of things, so thinking about how is someone going to feel in each of these situations, that's the best way to apply it to recruitment campaigns, in my opinion. I think that too often we are approaching situations without considering that sentiment, that idea of how someone's going to feel in the situation. So looking at a UCAS fair is a perfect example. It's a human interaction which opens the door for brilliant emotion because of the fact that you've got people face to face. But are we telling people, all the time that we're telling people, here's our sales messages that we want you to go out with, are we telling people what that face should be for the university? And the kind of stuff that's basically customer service 101 in the private sector, we're not always exploring that and considering that as institutions because more often than not, and I, I think I've had good experiences with Kiel, which I'm very fortunate to have had, and equally good experiences with Derby, but I also personally found a lot of the things that I do in terms of when I'm at a recruitment event, for instance, um, which is a great experience no matter what your role is, um, because I think it's essential to see students and, and really understand them and get to know who that audience really is because it changes every year and equally they're all individual people which can never be sort of emphasized enough but even some of the core value things that for me I, I learned when I was working as an intern for a magazine um, and was basically just a darkroom lackey which was a great experience even if I came home smelling of chemicals every day but the, the guy who mentored me then, uh, a guy called Ben Eri, he really taught me to treat everyone with the same level of respect. And I kind of knew that before, but it really stuck with me. Because even when we were doing daft stuff like running errands to pick up photographic paper from somewhere, we'd have a, a nice long conversation with the guy who was carrying a sack truck as much as we'd have a really brilliant conversation when we'd bump into someone who was a senior member of staff asking what we were up to. But it was always on the same level, the same tone and the same experience. Now, I think if we are looking at universities, how frequently are we telling our employees and the people that represent us what our values really are and saying this isn't something which has to be uniform because uniformity is a very dangerous thing. We don't want everyone to be the same, but we do want people to live these values. And I think that exploring how brands really work in the higher education sector, are we empowering everyone to really embody those values? That's how we can get emotion across in all of those interactions. That's a big thing though. Like, that is, that's huge. But in terms of the student recruitment cycle, if we're looking at these teams, do we understand what that team should represent? Do we really understand what every piece of our marketing should be setting out to achieve? And if we've not even considered call to action, let's say, even that tiny, tiny thing, which every piece of campaign activity should contain, we, we should really be thinking, what is this call to action actually saying? Because if we're trying to bring someone to an open day and that's our lead call to action for our top level campaign and maybe into like the, the initial recruitment campaign side of things, even after we've met someone at a UCAS fair, if we're trying to say, um, we want you to come to an open day so that you can experience this for yourself because we believe it's special and we want you to share in it and we want you here because even if you don't turn up on the day and even if you don't end up becoming a student here, we want that one day to at least be something good that's good for you. And then you can go out and evangelize the rest of the world about the fact you had one good experience for one day. Is that why we're doing it? Or instead, are we putting out a message to people that isn't uniform and contains dissenting voices where some people are saying, oh, well, we only do these open days because we need to recruit more students. 
And I think that's a, an easy thing where I just get that clarity. It's almost like having a mission statement as a brand, but think about all of those individual teams and all of those individual parts of the journey as needing mission statements as well. Yet again, I promise you lots of examples in this episode and Johnny delivered once more. Here are his examples of emotion being used in the content mix. Oh, there, there's a couple of Australians are killing us in terms of emotion because this, and I had a quick chat with, with Cameron Pegg about this at uh, Content Ad, which was awesome, very briefly at least. Um, but the Australians just seem to have really captured that mentality of how emotion can be powerful in our campaigns we're not just talking about deng's campaign here are we? <laughs> I know, which was very powerful <laughs> there's, there's been a few that, where they just seem to understand that that human element and again like it's that's a very broad brush to take because we've got institutions over here that are doing it really well i think in the uk we're doing it on a micro scale almost though the organic content that we're coming out with seems to be closer to the mark very few British universities seem to have understood that our top level campaigns where we're doing glossy videos should also be emotional. The closest that a lot of people at the moment are getting, um, I did really enjoy, to be fair, Kingston University's clearing campaign last year that was funny and humour, by all means, if you can make someone laugh, that is an emotional response. But I think that in a very British way, we're absolutely terrified of, of trying to open up the doors to someone maybe feeling vulnerable within our campaigns as well. We're not very good at understanding how we can say something really honest and how that is possibly more powerful than just making people laugh. Laughter's great, it's relatable, but because I'd, I'd say that, that Kingston Clearing campaign, it was all video content that I really enjoyed and then they tied it in with strong visuals and a good campaign message. So that's worth checking out for anyone who hasn't seen it. But I, I would say within higher education, we really have a gap where, especially in terms of like video agencies pitching this stuff, where it really connects on that level of going, we're being really honest with you. Um, and I know that that's something that is difficult to do in marketing, but that level of honesty is, I think, the, the next level in terms of emotional content in our sector. In terms of people that are doing it externally, I think brands are in a weird place. My favourite one to reference, Nike again, my real my real favourite one recently, beyond the, uh, the amazing cerebral palsy campaign that they did of that one athlete who was really influenced, was the Colin Kaepernick stuff. Because I felt like that was really powerful as an external emotional campaign because the way it made me feel as a Brit who's not really connected to that whole sporting world but I understand what it means for someone to kneel uh, to the American anthem and to get all the flack that he's had especially from the president of their own country and for a brand as big as Nike to go two fingers to you Mr President we're backing this guy we understand what he's trying to say he's not alone that's just above and beyond and again, there's a degree of cynicism there, but I love when a brand can go, you know what, to all the, like in this instance, to all the soccer dads who aren't going to buy our white sneakers anymore, we don't need you anyway. We've, we've set our stand. We understand who we want. We want to connect emotionally by saying, we think this is important. And um, that's kind of that level of honesty as well that I think as soon as higher education can tap into it in a non-cynical way too, where maybe we need to say a little bit more of, yeah, finances might not be good because we've been squeezed by a government that, doesn't really value some of the stuff we do yet constantly says how important research is even in that you know there's going to be a really powerful campaign that someone will do at some point which says we do research that changes the world we're not always being supported which is why we need to find the future of that research so that even if people who are bigger and stronger and more powerful than us don't support it at least you will and you'll fight our corner that for me would be a brilliant campaign
So with all of those areas covered, it was time to pull everything together with what has ended up being the longest, most epic and most comprehensive single answer this podcast has ever seen. I asked Johnny to outline what, in an ideal world where budgets and ideas were all approved with ease, a student recruitment campaign that factored in personalization, meaningful content and emotion might look like. Settle in and pay attention because this answer is pretty special. I think for me, the, the first point that we have to do is think about that call to action and, and what are we really trying to capture here. If we're just after an email address, that's not really enough. And I think some of the brutal sales approach that we might be able to learn from the private sector is, is really applicable to this within our campaign planning. So if we land on, let's say, a really basic but easy call to action, so we're trying to drive people through open days, that is a great starting point. We think about that as a, as a first thing um, and our leading call to action to build in emotion and making it meaningful and then personalizing it. I think personalization has got to come later down the line because your top level campaign, we've really got to have that stage first where we're engaging with them in that emotional way. So let's think about visuals. Now, I, I really simple thing that we can all be doing. Let's never, ever use a photo of a student on their own ever again, because who wants to look at a university and think I'm always going to be on my own. And it's not that deeply ingrained. Like it is not something that if someone sees your poster on the tube and it's a student on their own, they're not going to think about it and go, well, that's not for me. But subconsciously, maybe they will. It's not an active thing. And I think we always need to think about that that deep level. What, are we, what statements are we putting out passively? And equally, that then boils down to what are we showing by having possibly just one white male teenager on a poster reading a book and doing a science subject? What are we saying by doing that? So that's a good opening point. If we're trying to make meaningful content, let's make it so that it applies to a broad range of people. And let's not think about if we're in this sort of nice space, let's actually do a photo shoot where we do it at a good time of year where the campus looks nice. We bring in the people that we think are good ambassadors for the brand, but equally a representative of our broad student body. Because all of us have got students with disabilities. We all have students that are from different um, ethnic backgrounds, from different countries, who speak different languages, and have got amazingly different life experiences, as well as the acknowledgement of different classes. And I think that these are all things that we need to incorporate first off for something to actually be meaningful. So someone doesn't look us up and down when they see that tube poster and think, that's a little bit not for me. So that's a good starting point. I think that equally thinking about those that visual side of things, because visuals are instantly Im- impactful. So thinking about that open day draw, what do we really want to be showcasing when we're trying to talk about the top level of recruitment? And getting that to be joined up. And this is more from the brand side of things, but I do think it's brand is meaningful because brand is all about your values and living those values and getting it embedded in everything we do. But that also means it should be joined up. Because for me, if I'm looking at a brand and it's not consistent, now I've had this argument with people previously where someone like Adidas can have 50 different subsets of their brand, but their core brand is so strong they can do that because as soon as they put three stripes on anything, and arguably they actually have three logos, they've got their classic one, they've got the three stripes, and then I believe they've got a third, which is um, horizontal stripes rather than the angled ones. Even that though, they're recognisable symbols. It's really strong. For us as universities, half of us are using shields and we aren't in that place. So instead we need to find other ways to make sure that our brand's consistent. But the least we can do is that if someone sees our tube poster, sees our billboard campaign, and then sees us at a UCAS fair, and maybe he's gone on the website, maybe picks up a copy of the prospectus, get it all joined up so someone knows who you are. Because for me as a user, if you're not consistent in that way, how do I know my learning experience is going to be consistent? 
if you're saying to me that you're really friendly and you've got community, but then on another poster, you're saying that your main focus is academic excellence and pushing people to strive for their best. Those two things can work together, but it's kind of two different institutions, really, if, if that's what you're saying is is your core identity. So that's important. And then I think we get to that stage where we've, we've done the sort of top level stuff where it's meaningful because it's relatable. We've worked on some messaging, hopefully, that is, again, inclusive, maybe a little bit interesting and funny that isn't using the word difference as well because Kiel's had great success with it. We were very, uh, it was a great experience that we won the best brand building large campaign at the CIM Awards this year, but we went to a UCAS fair this year and realised how many other people are using the word different. And if, if we're all different, then no one's different. So um, that's kind of, it's one of those things as well. Think about what actually does make you unique and embed that in your copy and embed that in your visual identity and, and do those things we have a, a massive building on campus keel hall which is gorgeous but then equally is it we we need to explore whether that's something the students really engage with we've done some research into that students don't go in there that much but they love being in front of it in the summer and that's something we can capture and something we can show off for open days so if we've explored all of that angle, I'll try and <laughs> breeze through. Hopefully we've got a degree of it being meaningful there where someone can connect with it. They feel it's open. They feel it's inclusive. They feel it's accessible. Then we need to think about what that user journey then looks like. So they've gone through the process. It's maybe stored away. They've, they've seen us somewhere. They've heard about us. Where do they want to engage with us really? Website. So we need to think about what, what they're going to be searching for. And obviously there's the whole thing about YouTube's a good search platform for certain things. Someone might search for Kiel University, so let's make sure we've got good stuff there or whichever university we're talking about. But equally, let's think about if they're going to get on a landing page, let's get them through that process as quickly as possible. Because if they are contemplating doing this for even 10 other universities, if they're fortunate enough to be able to afford to visit 10 other universities, which again is another struggle we don't really think about all that much at most institutions, what can we do to ensure that that experience is super quick and painless? So when are the open days going to be, if that's what we focused on? How long is the form going to take to fill out? How do I get there? What transport is provided? Can I get some funding for transport? Are you going to help me out with anything? Do I need to stay over? Are you isolated? Are there good bus routes? Where's all that information? When I need it as quickly as possible? Now, in most cases, it's really easy to think that should all be on the website. And it should be, but probably not before the form. Because if they've seen your call to action, they actually want to come to your open day. Let's not explain what an open day is. You know, a day where the campus is open for you to come for one day and explore. Actually, let's just get them into the form and, and say, you know, sign up. So that's meaningful, but it also evokes a positive emotional response. The next level to that, though, when they've gone through all of that, is thinking about the reminder journey, as it were. So in terms of this very small section of student recruitment, if we're trying to pull them into the open day because we believe it's more likely to make them actually become students, which the evidence has shown that I think you're four times more likely to become a student if you attend an open day, which may have changed and please do research frequently. <laughs> but I think that from that point, then we need to be thinking about, well, is it enough if we just send them two emails, one four weeks before and one three days before to remind them that there's going to be an open day? Should we think about maybe doing phone calls? Now, that's something that uh, other businesses have worked for. They love doing phone calls. But is that going to be the right thing for our audience? For me personally, if I get a call from a random number, it's a 50-50 as to whether I'm going to pick it up. If I get a voicemail, I'm even more inconvenienced because that might cost me money on my plan. And if I'm a teenager who hasn't got much money and I have to pay 10p just to listen to a message you've left me that was unsolicited, how's that going to make me feel? Especially if then it means that I've got less money to spend on the transport. And although 10p is a small amount, 
it's enough to turn you off someone and it's enough to make you annoyed. So thinking about those things, instead, can we be where they want us to be? So can they DM us when they're worried about transport? Can they maybe talk to us on Facebook Messenger at all times of day about the worries they've got? And maybe instead, can we do, if we've engaged with them through a platform like Messenger, can we do a push notification that says, just want to check everything's okay for the open day. If you've got any questions, if you need any help, but finding out that, asking their preferences, getting consent for how we contact them, that's essential. I think there's there's debates around platforms like email at the moment because of the fact that in some ways email is, is still a powerful tool, but students aren't using it in the way that I probably would have used it at their age. It's more of this like data bank now, where it's, it's kind of the same. It's like a filing cabinet. It's your digital filing cabinet to store important paperwork somewhere. So you've got your confirmation that you're coming to the open day, but maybe you don't then want to get the spam of saying, don't forget there's an open day, don't forget there's an open day, over and over and over again. And also thinking about that thing where we're all human, they may miss that open day. So we've focused on this whole thing where we're pushing them to the open day constantly. We've been doing an outdoor campaign. We've been doing digital ads. We've been pushing them in that direction through the student recruitment cycle to say, come to this open day. They sign up to one. All of a sudden, they're not there on the day. What do we do? Do we just leave them to drop off? Or do we say, you're still valuable even when you don't turn up? And then we send them something that's nice, maybe. Or we try and put them back into a stream of digital advertising that says, don't worry that you missed it. There's always space for you. You're still special. And I think that all of those things, it's a very small focused recruitment campaign element. It's not the whole thing, obviously. There's a huge chunk around conversion, the application process, but applying those similar sort of rules where we take a broad brush approach at the start by thinking, is it accessible? Is it engaging? And is it welcoming? Are we saying this is for you? Which ticks the boxes on meaningful content and it's also got a positive emotional outcome. So it sort of uses emotion and empathy to say, yeah, this is engaging and, and it works on that emotional level. Through to forms and website pages and stuff like that, how do you sign up? Now, I've been saying website forms for signing up to the open day. Is that even the right format? Because arguably, if I can book an open day through Instagram DMs, maybe that's better. I see the ad, I click through to the thing, send us a DM if you want to book on. Perfect. That you know, you're actually speaking the right language, maybe in the right place. And I think that that's something we need to explore more. But again, it's more meaningful because you're making the effort to be where I want you to be. It's emotional because, oh, that's good. I didn't even have to leave Instagram whilst I was looking at some random meme. Brilliant. And then equally, it's, it's got that personalization element when we boil down to the reminders. Because once we've captured that information, we're then at a point where we don't have to hassle them. Because if you do miss that open day, your information's already there when you sign up again. And we're not asking them to remember a login. We're not trying to say to them, don't forget, you created a login and a password just so you could come to our open day. But you did the same thing for 20 other universities. And maybe it was different every time. Maybe for one of them, you use your mum's email address. Maybe this one you used ours or your email address rather, or your school email address. So when you are on our form, you need to remember all of that stuff. Instead, maybe we're just going on Messenger or on Instagram DMs or whatever it might be. Oh yeah, what's your name? Oh yeah, I can see that you signed up for the last one. Don't worry about it. We'll book you on to the next one. Done. Happy days. So we've got personalization, it's meaningful, and hopefully it gives them a good emotional experience. Excellent. I think you've nailed it. Thanks, Dave. Johnny, it's, it's been great to sit and chat. Thank you so much for your time and uh, hopefully see you soon. Thank you for having me on. Johnny Williams is Head of CRM, Creative Services and Content at Keele University in the UK. You can find him on LinkedIn and he is at Johnny F. Williams on Twitter too.
think you'll agree that that chat was worth waiting for. Thanks so much to Johnny for going deep into his content related passions and giving such great knowledge. Now regular listeners to this podcast might be wondering where my regular question about peer recruitment was in this episode. Well, Johnny is the only guest in this season to whom I did not pose that question, but I wanted to cover it here as I still think it fits into the mix. You see, working with your current students and getting them more involved in your recruitment and marketing planning can genuinely cover all three of the areas we've talked about here. Think about it. You put a prospective student in touch with one of your student ambassadors and leave them to chat and right away, that's a personal connection. And chances are, the content of those chats are going to be meaningful. Your student ambassadors will give the other person the information they're looking for. And there's every chance emotion will come into it too. They'll offer up some thoughts about what life is really like at your institution. When it comes down to it, everything we're preaching here is about keeping your audience at the heart of what you do and making their interactions with you as easy and positive as possible. If we're being honest, we can probably all make improvements to what we're doing. And I've no doubt this chat with Johnny will give you plenty to mull over. So go out there and get stuck in. It's definitely worth it. He was Johnny. I've been Dave. And that was Inspiration on Tap. You've been listening to Inspiration on Tap, a podcast brought to you by the Access Platform. The Access Platform is a peer recruitment tool that enables universities to connect their student ambassadors with prospective students wherever they are in the world. Find out more about us and book a demo at theaccessplatform.com. This episode was hosted and produced by me, Dave Musson, and my guest was Johnny Williams, head of CRM, creative services, and content at Keele University. You can find him on LinkedIn and he's at Johnny F. Williams on Twitter. Our theme tune and ad music were written for us by Laptop Philharmonic. Find more of his music on Spotify or at laptopphilharmonic.bandcamp.com. Other music was by Blue Dot Sessions and is used under Creative Commons. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe so you never miss a thing from us in the future and so you can easily and quickly jump into season one if you haven't already. You'll find episodes on Reddit, Absolute Units and even chat with the elusive University of Bantshire. Also, if you did enjoy this episode and are able to leave us a rating or review, that would be most appreciated. Or just tell a friend about our show. Every little helps. Take care. Catch you next time for the season finale.